Going Linux, episode 263, listener feedback. Welcome to the Going Linux podcast. I'm your host, Larry Bushy. And I'm your co-host, Bill. Whether you are new to Linux, upgrading from Windows to Linux, or just thinking about moving to Linux, this podcast will provide you with valuable information and advice that will help you in Going Linux. We hope that you find this and all our episodes helpful in learning about Linux and its applications and using them to get things done. In today's episode, listener feedback. If you want to send us feedback, our email address is goinglinux at gmail.com and our voicemail line is at 1-904-468-7889. Hello, Bill. Welcome back after the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. Was yours good? It was. I'm wishing all our U.S. listeners a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Found something new I really liked. It's a southern thing, apparently. Barbecue turkey. Mmm, really that sounds good. good. Yeah, it was good. It was really good, and uh, I ate myself silly, so nice part is I didn't have to clean up or anything. I just had to come eat and leave, so. Well, that's good. <laughs> I, I did a similar sort of thing. I didn't have barbecue turkey, but I had deep-fried turkey, and it was it was delicious It was well, good. So. Well, how they cook the, how they make the barbecue turkey is they take the turkey, inject a bunch of seasonings into it, deep-fry it, mm. let it cool, then chop it up and put barbecue sauce on it. <laughs> We put barbecue sauce on anything. Could you taste the turkey at all with all the spices and barbecue sauce? <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It, I thought it would taste very similar to like pork or beef, but uh-huh. it had a distinctive taste. In it. I mean, it was very nice. And good. so along with that and all the other fixings, uh, I waddled myself out of there. <laughs> well, very fitting for a turkey day. Yeah, it was really good. So you had a good one, apparently. It's good. Yes, yes, I good, had a good, good. Uh, Thanksgiving as well, and uh, I didn't waddle out, but uh, yeah, it was good. it was good. Lots of uh, good family conversations, and uh, you know, good food as well. Well, good, good. That's what holidays are about, right? Yeah, it was good. Got to spend time with some friends and and the wife, and we had a good time. And you know, like I said, it was uh, I couldn't eat like that every day, but it sure was nice uh, to not have to do anything, you know. Was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Best kind of holiday. Yeah, it's my kind of holiday. Usually I'm the Show one. up, eat, and leave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually the one cooking, you know, so I, I got this, this, uh, this year I got invited, so I'm like, yeah, count me in. Yeah, that's good. But, that uh, is great. I felt bad, but uh, only for a short period of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it was a good holiday for you, as it was, was for me, and uh now that uh, all the people who aren't in the U.S. who could care less about this Thanksgiving thing are all <laughs> bored, shall we get into our episode? I think we should. Okay. First up, we have a voicemail from Richard on an old dead topic. So even though it's a dead topic, Richard will play your voicemail, but it's dead. So we're not going to comment much. Here we go. Hello, Larry and Bill. This is Richard from New Albany, Indiana. I just finished listening to Going Linux number 260 and would like to comment on the ongoing discussion about Paul and his encryption questions. I've come to the conclusion that Bill really thought that a Linux user cannot access an encrypted drive by way of a Linux Live CD. From all that I've heard from Paul, it seems as though he really has long ago solved the problem he was having with encryption and is only wanting Bill to admit 
He is really not that familiar with Linux encryption. I, too, like Paul, was pretty when Bill said, you can't access it with a live CD. That's kind of the reason you encrypted it. Just one man's opinion. Thanks, Richard. Okay, Richard. Thanks for the voicemail. I appreciate it, Richard. Yep. Our next email comes from Chard from Oregon, who asks about disk cleaning. He writes, Gentlemen, what is your recommendation on the occasional use of BleachBit and similar software to clean the CRUD from one's computer? Does your advice apply equally to machines using SSDs as well as those running a traditional Platter-style hard drive? As a number of unique issues face the Linux user of a solid-state drive, trim settings jump to mind, it might be appropriate for Going Linux to feature an in-depth program on such drives. Thank you for your Linux education efforts. Chard from Oregon. Okay, and I responded back to Chard and provided him with a link to our article on setting up an SSD drive since we've already gone through that. And in fact, we've gone in-depth on SSD drives, including setting up trim. So I did send him that article. And about BleachBit, have you had any experience with BleachBit in the past? I haven't used that uh, program in... Must have been a couple of years. I mean, it was uh, on PC Linux OS. I know that. Yeah. And uh, I used it once, and it found some crud. But I mean, just some documents and stuff. So I, I never really used it because I never really had any disk issues as far as space with Linux. Right. But I want to ask you a question, uh, just so I'm clear. On an SSD drive. Are yeah. you trying to, which one are you trying to limit, the writes or the reads? Okay, you want to limit the writes in some circumstances because uh, an SSD drive will only take so many writes before it is done. So, uh, but with the size of SSD drives these days uh, and, you know, the, the good solid stability of SSD drives, that's really not too much of a problem, but they do provide the trim functionality so that you can monitor things and make sure that uh, that it's running optimally and that's what we're helping to set up there so you wouldn't run the program something like called spinwrite or something uh, similar to that because that just reads uh, just re- reads and writes uh, sectors that would be kind of hard on it wouldn't it it would be because it, it's reading and writing every single sector okay. on the drive and uh, okay. if it finds a, if it finds an issue it's going to continue to read and write and maybe even wear out the drive sooner. Uh, I'm not saying that it's a bad tool to use if you really need it, but yeah. uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't use anything that stresses the drive unnecessarily on an SSD drive because it does have a limited life. And trim settings are built into kernel now, right? I believe so, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So, and, uh, you know, trim these days, even on Linux, is pretty much set up for you with with minimal effort on your part and you can follow our uh, show notes link to optimizing linux for an ssd drive yeah i remember you uh doing that little um uh, episode right after you got your ssd yep yep okay and uh back to bleachbit for a second um i haven't used bleachbit either but uh, I have heard some mixed reviews on it. Everything from it's an absolute godsend to it wiped out a whole bunch of stuff I didn't want it to wipe out. Uh, yeah, and so I sent uh, Chard 
the link from How to Geek with some information on Bleachbit uh, and a comparison with CCleaner and the forum posts there give a little bit of perspective from various points of view. So although I haven't used it myself, um, I thought it would be a good idea to provide you know, this, this forum post uh, link to Chard, and we'll include it in show notes for, for other listeners who may be interested in Bleachbit as well. Yeah. Okay. Our next email is from Jim, who writes an update and provides us with some questions as well. He writes, Hi all, it's been a couple of years since I've emailed you, simply because what few problems I have had I have been able to resolve easily for the most part. I either knew what to do or the answer was easily found on a search on DuckDuckGo. I rarely need to use Google anymore for searches. I use Skype for my primary telephone and have a cell for when I am away from the computer. My question is, does it make any difference in the life of a desktop running Linux to keep it on all the time? I have two desktops, an Acer Veriton and Dell Optiplex 755. The Acer is my everyday computer, while the Dell is what I call my entertainment center. It is much faster, both are 64-bit, but the Dell has twice the RAM. Thus, it does a much better job of streaming videos from the Internet. The Acer's fan is much quieter than the Dell's, which is very important to me as I am much more sensitive to noise than most people. I used to use Linux Mint on all my computers, including a Toshiba netbook, but ran into a problem with them last year when I tried to upgrade to Mint 16, I think. For some reason, I could not get any sound out of Skype. Sound otherwise was okay. I didn't think of downloading and installing from the Skype website. Any thoughts on that? Within a day or two after that, DistroWatch reviewed a distro called Point Linux. I tried it and some others settling on Point Linux. It is a Debian derivative with a rolling release and uses GNOME 2 desktop, which I like very much. Even though I am old, I am not stuck in my ways. For me to use something new, it has to be significantly better for me than what I currently have. I have tried Unity, GNOME 3, Mate, KDE, and XFCE. And they do not improve my computing experience. In fact, they all degrade in one way or another. Mate is the only one I can use. The only problem I have with Point Linux is that it isn't supported by HP LIP, while Linux Mint is. I have an HP printer because I like the device manager of HP LIP. If I need to run the device manager, I have to connect the printer to a netbook as it is using... Linux Mint. Interestingly enough, I have no problems with Skype on the Toshiba. I have recently moved to St. Petersburg, Florida, where I hope to get back to sailing and eventually another sailboat. I lived on and sailed my last sailboat for 25 years in California and Mexico before I sold her. Maybe in this regard, I am too old to change. Enjoy listening to your podcasts. Yours and DistroWatch are the only ones I found worth listening to. Jim. Well, we appreciate the vote of confidence on our <laughs> on our podcast. Uh, I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, let's see. Let's go back to the top here and take a look at his question. So does it make sense, or does it make any difference, rather, in the life of a desktop running Linux to keep it on all the time? What do you think, Bill? 
I leave mine on all the time. Yeah, I, never I leave mine off. on for as long as I can, and the only time I restart is when I have to, because I've installed something that requires a restart, or I'm taking the computer somewhere, and you know it's a laptop, of course, so sometimes I do shut it down and take it somewhere and start it up again. And with an SSD drive and this fast uh, system from System76, it doesn't take long at all to reboot so that's not a big deal but leaving it on is no problem you know uh mine gets replaced so often it doesn't really get a lot of time yeah so yeah i actually I, I finally switched back to ubuntu um, okay and so it's been on there for a while now but i i leave it on i don't see any performance hit um and i've heard both sides of the argument saying that starting your computer is harder on it than leaving it on. I've heard leaving it on is is harder than restarting it. I just pretty much leave it on, and and only time I restart is if I get like a kernel update or I have to restart it for a program that says you must restart or security, you know. But as as a general uh, rule, I just I just leave it on. I don't have any problems. Yeah, yeah, and you know most. Um... Linux servers are left on for months and months, if not years. So uh, you know it's it's not unheard of to leave the uh, leave a, a computer on. And the the issue with starting and restarting and so on, I think, has more to do with hardware than it does with the operating system or software. Uh, so you know it's it's up to you, but I don't see any harm in letting Linux run forever. Uh, when you're running something like Windows, it can build up all kinds of cruft in there and, uh, you know, over time, slow down if you leave it running for, for a long time. But that does not happen with Linux typically, so uh, not a big deal there. Uh, he did touch on the, um, the problem with Skype. Yeah, and so I'm thinking this is the problem that a number of us were having in around the time of Mint 16 or Mint 17, where there was a problem with Skype itself, and it required you to preload Skype with some settings, and there was a command line fix for it, but that's long since been fixed, so uh, we won't even provide the link to that since it probably doesn't apply to most people, and I think that uh, uh, anyone who is using Skype these days on Mint or any other uh, Ubuntu variant uh, no longer has that problem if they're running something new and reasonable. He did mention that he didn't think about getting Skype from the website. I always get the, the latest Skype from their website. Yeah, yeah. Skype is one of those pro programs that is a little old in the repositories typically. Yeah, so yeah, I find that uh, usually if you get the latest one, you don't have as many problems. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, on printers... Um, HP Lip, I don't know why it wouldn't run under Point Linux. Uh, it's a utility that is compatible with just about any Linux out there. Uh, certainly, I use it all the time on Linux Mint, but I don't typically run it. I, I use it to set up a printer, an HP printer, and I'll use it to adjust the, the settings. I have a printer that's capable of uh, scanning and printing on both sides of the page and that sort of thing. And if I need to tweak those settings, I just find it easier to use the HPLIP utility to do that than than the typical uh, printer manager. So I 
otherwise leave it switched off. Uh, have you used that at all? I haven't used uh, HP LIP ever because I don't actually have a HP printer. I have a well, that'll do it. I have a Canon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, yeah. This this is a, a utility specifically for HP printers, which of course are extremely compatible with Linux. They're they're one of the better companies out there for Linux compatibility. And uh, I've used it off and on with HP printers, and lately I found it just. Um, that much easier to set things up with uh, with this utility, even though you can do most of it, if not all of it, with the graphical print setup utility that comes with Linux Mint or most other Linux distributions. You can use cups as well to set up your printer, uh, and you can uh, do it by command line if you're really hardcore, I guess. <laughs> I remember printers used to be just the bane of Linux. Yeah, yeah. Uh, printers and scanners, right? Yeah. Hey, that just, yeah. Well, and if you remember, modems used to be like that too. Yeah, thank God we don't use <laughs> modems anymore. Oh, wow. I remember some of the thing couldn't run it because it had this chip in it, and you had to go in and <laughs> open the box and look at it. It was wild. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I know HP is doing a lot with open source, so it makes sense that they would have uh, good support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they're as I said, they are one of the companies that contributes a lot to um, to the Linux kernel and to Linux development in general. And they make a very good effort to make their printers Linux compatible, and especially with the HPLIP um, utility, uh, makes it very easy to to set up and use. Yeah, uh, sounds like HP uh, printers. it's almost as easy to do it as if you were using Windows. Uh, easier. Is it? Wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because when you get a printer, first thing you try on Linux is plug the USB cable in, and if it works, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Don't touch it. Yeah, and if you get a new printer on Windows, it will come with a CD where you have to install the driver because it doesn't come with mm, the driver. Actually, so. not necessarily the case. Not, not so much anymore? No, uh, I've uh, been able to plug in four or five printers, you know, when I'm working on one. And if Win Windows just ha can either find the drivers or download it and install it, it sounds like uh, Linux and Windows are just about the even on that. I haven't had a, I haven't had to use a driver CD on, on Windows in ages. Not saying that uh, you should use Windows. I'm just saying we don't want to give any false information. Uh, right, yeah. right, sure. And the the point I was trying to make is that if it's a new printer on uh, Linux, the uh, the printer driver will be in the kernel mm -hmm. eventually. Okay, yeah. uh, and with Windows... It has to find um, it. It has to go to the internet and find it, which is the equivalent of finding it in your uh, repositories or going to the printer manufacturer's site and, and downloading the appropriate driver for those brand new or less supported printers out there for Linux. So, yeah, yeah you're right. I I should be careful how I say things. <laughs> well, no, it's no, it's just that uh, we don't want people thinking we're bashing Windows because we're not. Guys, no. I, I use Windows uh, every day. Uh, in my work, and and I use Linux every day, and I use Mac OS too. So, I use all three of them, and uh, they all have strengths and weaknesses. But printers and scanners and stuff are not a real weakness. Not not for Windows seven or eight. I think when you got to seven, 
it really got easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's and basically it's built on seven, so we, we won't go into all that. But uh, just basically, I, I think what we're trying to say is printers have come a long way on Linux, and they've come a long way in Windows too. This so technology keeps improving, and I'm hoping one of these days you'll be able just to go out and get any printer and hook it up to Linux, and it just works. Right. Absolutely. Nice. Okay. And and the version of Windows that I recommend most is uh, Windows nine. And if you can't find that, just install Linux. Don't bother, don't worry. <laughs> okay. Our, <laughs> our next uh, our next email come from Brandon. Brandon is up and running with Sonar. Hey, all right. Yeah. He writes, Hi, I am Brandon, and I have to thank you guys for pointing me at Sonar GNU Linux. Once I heard you guys talking about it, I decided to give it a try, and now I'm running it full time. Got that big old mean Windows off my machine. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that you guys talk about assistive technology. At the very least, it will get people seeking new options. But it might just get people thinking about those who depend on that technology and spark creation and inspiration. We always are looking for ways to make our systems more accessible, and the more apps that include accessibility in their design, the more productive we can be. My sincere thanks, guys. Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. That was nice. Yeah, very nice. And that's exactly our intention in highlighting Sonar and giving it such in-depth coverage is the fact that uh, there are uh, people out there who need assistive technology. Sonar provides it, provides it at no charge. It's open source, of course. And if we can inspire more people to make whatever software they're designing and hardware that they're designing more assistive or more friendly to people who need assistive technology, then uh, th that's exactly the thing that we're going for. So again, thanks, Brandon. I'm very happy to hear and read that uh, you're up and running with Sonar and so easily and quickly. That's great. Did uh, Sonar get those new voices yet? Not yet. Um, I haven't spoken with Jonathan in a little while. Uh, I think they're running a little bit behind on the next release of Sonar, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, it'll eventually come. And um, I, I haven't checked on the additional new voices yet to see what specifically is, is happening with those. Uh, but I do know they're working on them. So just as always, be a little patient. <laughs> yeah, I actually listened to Claws the other day. Jaws. Mm -hmm. Jaws, excuse me. Jaws, Jaws, okay. And I didn't think the voice was that good. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and uh, I, I was like, wow, that's what you're paying 1200 bucks for? <laughs> well, maybe there are some optional voices or something. Uh, I would just go get Sonar because it wasn't, I didn't think it was that good. Um, mm. I think Sonar with, um, with all this built-in accessibility is uh, going to give it a race for its money. I really do. Right. Well, certainly the... The, the price is much more uh, <laughs> Yeah, much price more is much more reasonable. Yeah, free versus thousands of dollars. Thanks, Brandon, for the email. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. All right, and finally, we have a Gone Linux story from Steve. Greetings, Larry and Bill. I've been a longtime listener and thought it was time to thank you for all your work. Although I'm still stuck with Windows at work, I've been Windows-free and largely hassle-free at home for a couple of years now, thanks in no small part to your show. 
I have a Linux adoption story to tell you. A couple of years ago, I offered to give my retired farmer father-in-law a free computer so he could Facebook with the grandchildren. And after a little coaxing, he agreed to get an internet account and let me set him up with a PC. I bought him a second-hand computer with Linux Mint installed, and since the last computer he'd used 10 years ago for work had been a 286 running DOS, showed him how to use a mouse. <sighs> he, li <laughs> he lives three hours. Have you ever tried to show somebody how to use a mouse that's never used one before? Yes. It's yes. very entertaining. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> My wife hasn't used one, a mouse, and I tried to show her, and she just can't get it. She Because... You know, she used to work at a hospital and it was all keyboard. They just, mm -hmm. they, she just could not grasp using the mouse. But 286, <laughs> yeah. wow. That brings, yeah, takes that's, me back. That's a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, continuing. Um, he lives three hours away, so I set up for a secure remote login with Neo Router and Vino and returned home to wait for the inevitable desperate help calls. To my surprise... He's carried on happily Facebooking and emailing jokes with all of his cronies ever since, with only the occasional call for help, and those are usually a minor application issue rather than a problem with the OS itself. My own father, who at the time was using Windows Machine, was calling on a bi-weekly basis for help bailing him out of Windows problems. I've since switched Dad to a Mint installation, and now he too rarely calls for tech support. Having now converted the two most computer illiterate people in my life, to Linux, I can confirm that Linux is the operating system for your grandmother or grandfather. I have to add that having listened to your show from the beginning, I remember well the dismissive, almost mocking attitude Craig Crossman used to have towards Linux on the Computer America shows. Imagine my satisfaction to see him now quoted on your website as having no reason left to run Windows. How far we've come in just a short time. Keep up the good work, guys. Love the show. Well, thanks, Steve. That's a great story. Yeah, it is. Is Craig running Linux? Uh, he says he does from time to time. He may run it in a VM. What's I know he... one, one of his sons is running it on full-time basis. Uh, what's, he, what's he usually run? Mac. <laughs> okay. Well, at least he's on a Unix-based operating system. Yeah, give him true. that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, do you have anything in the way of an application that you like or I, a tip I, to give our listeners? I do. Just give me half a second. My application is called Conky Manager. Mm -hmm. And basically, if you're running Ubuntu, you, know, you have to install a PPA which is real simple to do. And then um, you can, it has several predefined conky scripts and you can add and take them away and, and, you know, turn features on and off. You just start the program, tell it what you want. And once you get what you want, you're done. You hit save and it's so easy. It's a lot easier than when I had to sit there and, you know, line for line and everything. And actually I sent you a screenshot of, yeah, of my conky, and you liked how it looked. Oh, it's 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 beautiful. And so it's this is basically um, that was just one of the ones built in, and it had everything I wanted. And I was like, well, I can't I can't improve upon it. Uh, this is for people that would like to have a conky, but don't feel like they're up to you know editing all the little scripts and stuff inside, which 
in if there's some great tutorials out there on how to do it but if you just want to get a conky up quick and dirty and have it work conky manager uh, is an absolute gem and it's basically for uh, Ubuntu and Ubuntu derivatives. Mm-hmm. And for people who aren't familiar with Conky or what it is, it's a essentially a, a shell script uh, with a configuration file that allows you to display system settings and parameters on your screen, on your um, on your desktop, on your wallpaper. And it includes things like uh, the speed of your processor, the free space on your hard drive, uh, CPU usage, Network uh, those kinds of things. That kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the things that I have displayed on mine are the uh, IP address of the network card that I'm using and the external IP address and things like that. So uh, it's it's quite useful. Uh, you can display the date and time as well if you want yeah. something it also, simple. Mine also t- tells me how long my system's been up, uh, the load on my different processors. And it, it's really conky where it is just one of the coolest things about Linux. <laughs> it really is useful if you just want to take a quick glance to see what what's going on some of there's some of these uh conky scripts that they pull in weather and tv listings i mean people have done some wild stuff with conky yeah so yeah and the only disadvantage is you have to be able to see your wallpaper to see (laughs) see what's going on Uh, and if you are typically the kind of person that has all kinds of windows open and you run them full screen you may find limited usefulness of them but uh, it's still cool. It, yeah, yeah, and and I always move my windows around so I can see what's going on in the Conky script as well. So you, know, so you program around for Conky. Yes, exactly. Because okay. I like the looks of it. I yeah, really I do. do. Yeah, and my system's been up for eighteen days, fifteen hours, and thirty-three minutes. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> and it will be going down soon because uh, Linux Mint seventeen point one has just been released, and I know that I'll need to restart when I do that upgrade. Well, maybe not. They said it's an in-place upgrade, so perhaps not. Hmm. We'll see. So uh, while you're talking about the in-place upgrade, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was actually reading a article on the internet about uh, a guy who just um, wrote an article and he said that Linux Mint couldn't be in-place upgraded. And they've been able to do that for, for a while now, haven't they? Uh, they've been able to do it. Uh, they don't recommend that you do it, uh, or they haven't up until this, uh, this, uh, release of 17.1 because okay. they haven't put, uh, an effort into making it in place upgradable. They, they have recommended a fresh install. So it's not that you couldn't do it. It's just that, uh, you, you had to jump through a few extra hoops to make it happen. And it's really, it wasn't designed to do that. Mm. They've changed their philosophy in recent uh, months and uh, over the past year or so uh, that they will have a uh, long-term support release based on an Ubuntu base. And as they get through the various interim releases to the next long-term support release, they will continue to use the same um, Ubuntu base. So we're using what, uh, 1404, I guess right now okay. on Linux Mint 17 and 17.1 will continue to use 14.04. So all of their releases from a long-term support release forward 
until the next long-term support release will be based on whatever the ver the long-term support release of uh, of Ubuntu was at the time. And it's that that's made it possible for them to rely on the stability of the base operating system so that they can make whatever changes they need to, in my case, Cinnamon, the desktop environment, Nemo, the file manager, and all of the other components that go into it and be able to give you the option of an in-place upgrade. And in fact, what they've said is when 17.1 is released, which it has been, it will be a few days, and then you will see the upgrade just happen in your update manager. Wow. Well, I remember uh, Tom, he upgraded, well, he, he ran Ubuntu exclusively. He upgraded like four or five times right in a row. Never, mm -hmm. never did a reinstall until I think the, with the sixth upgrade, he finally had to do a clean install. But he just kept upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. And it looks like yep. Linux Mint is going to be just as easy as if, well, we used the Windows uh, word again, because, you know, you, you can upgrade in place on Windows also. So if Linux gets the, where it's just as effortlessly as uh, Windows, you know, there is really no reason that people can't run Linux and not have to worry about it. Right. And as you said, Ubuntu has had in-place upgrades for a long time. Uh, other distributions uh, have in-place upgrades that work just fine. Uh, and of course, the rolling releases keep you up to date. Uh, once you install them, you get the upgrades. And it, it sounds like Linux Mint uh, is going not quite to the rolling release between long-term support releases, but it's it's it feels like it's almost uh, a rolling release mm -hmm. uh, from the way they've described it. So I hesitate to call it a rolling release because I know it's not. Well, it sounds like they're really trying to make it as easy as possible to keep yep. keep a nice fresh desktop, but keep the stability underneath. That is the key right there. Mm -hmm. And that's why I recommend Linux Mint is because it is just that easy. Yeah, because that's the only problem with uh, if some of the long-term releases is that by the time you get the next long-term release, some of the programs that you've been using are considerably old. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what Mint's doing is just keep you know using the stability of the operating system, but keeping the desktop and everything. So that's that's brilliant. That is absolutely yeah. brilliant. Yeah. That's a good idea. And my application pick is the Mate desktop. Believe it or not, uh, even though I use Cinnamon and I'm not moving from Cinnamon anytime soon, um, the Linux Mint has released 17.1 with Mate, but Ubuntu has a new Mate version that will soon be the an, an official Ubuntu release. And because of Ubuntu's adoption of Mate, I expect that it will get a lot more attention and it will... Um, develop a lot more quickly and a lot more robustly than it has in the past. Not that it hasn't made leaps and bounds since it was originally introduced at mm -hmm. the demise of GNOME 2. Um, uh, it is, uh, it's a simple lightweight desktop that if your computer isn't a new one and needs lightweight resources and isn't an extremely old one where it needs extremely lightweight resources, Mate is an excellent desktop for that. And it gives some advantages uh, over even cinnamon, in my opinion, uh, for uh, older and newer uh, 
computers, especially if you like things like the Compiz Desktop Manager. And the there are some um, accessibility features that were built for GNOME 2 that have found their way uh, into Mate as well that uh, are still there and are working extremely well, even better than some of the accessibility features that are in GNOME 3 or in Cinnamon or any of the other desktops. Mate is just uh, leaps and bounds ahead on accessibility in some areas. I don't think I could go back to using uh, uh, Mate. Uh, after mm. using Unity, I've gotten too used to it. Hmm. Okay. Well, in fact, you know, you say that. I have my Cinnamon desktop set up like the the old gnome too like, <laughs> like yeah with with the top panel and the bottom panel and i just liked that so much uh that um although i prefer cinnamon in terms of a desktop environment i did like the the dual panel setup and that's mm-hmm. the way i use cinnamon yeah well you know like i said cinnamon's pretty customizable yep okay all right so that's our episode for this time around our next episode is my final appearance on Computer America, and uh, Craig Crossman has found another host. We'll be introducing him during that show, and until then, you can go to our website at goinglinux.com for articles and show notes, as well as links to download and subscribe. We are the website for computer users who just want to use Linux to get things done. And if you'd like, you can participate directly with our friendly and helpful community members by joining the discussion in our Going Linux Podcast Google Plus community. Until next time, thanks for listening. 73. music provided by Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com.